Okay, everyone, welcome to another ARCS chat. Uh, my name is Robin Bauer Kilgo. I am the Association Manager for ARCS. A couple of super quick technical notes. Um, there is a slight delay when we actually record this and then it actually goes out online. So if you're following along in the chat, just know that we are keeping track of the chat the entire time. But um, there's a little bit of a delay between the panelists and when we're talking and when our co-hosts talk. So just keep aware of that. And beyond that, I'm just gonna go ahead and pass the mic over to Amanda Robinson and John Robinette. Um, I'll be gonna turn off my camera for just a little bit, but I'll be back for the Q&A. So I hope you enjoyed the chat and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Robin. Um, happy New Year to everyone and welcome back to another episode of ARCS Chat. As Robin said, my name is Amanda and I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm coming to you from sunny Florida where I work as the registrar at the Museum of Fine Arts in St. Petersburg. So today's topic is a continuation of our career perspective series, which is being showcased this season on ARCS Chat. We'll see if we can actually add a link in the chat box and in the description box of the YouTube um, recording to our previous episode in the series uh, where we spoke with mid-career uh, professionals back in October, just in case you'd like to check that out. So today we are talking with an awesome panel of emerging professionals in the field of collection stewardship. Uh, we hope to learn today about the differing routes our panelists took coming into the field and explore how the year of 2020 has shaped them in this beginning phase of their career. Additionally, we'll discuss their perspectives on the profession of collection stewardship as well as its future. Uh, and we'll probably moderate a little bit heavier because we have a, a nice full panel today. Um, but joining us, speaking of our panelists, is Bailey Hughes from the Denver Museum of Natural Science. Uh, we have Michelle Kennedy from the South Street Seaport Museum in New York City. Carolyn Lopez from the LA Plaza de Cultura y Artes in Los Angeles. And Elizabeth Denholm from the Delaware Art Museum, as well as Sofia Brosinos from the National Portrait Gallery and Rachel Smith from the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame and Museum in the city of Waco, Texas. Panelists, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Um, so without further ado, let's begin. And Sophia, I'm gonna to toss the first question over to you as you kindly volunteered yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became a registrar? So I started pretty early, um, very early. Um, my junior year of high school, we had a career unit and we had to ask friends and family what they thought we should be when we were older, like for our job. And my mom just kind of, my mom does not remember this, but she said, she suggested curator, museum curator. And so I kind of uh, ran with that. And once I got into college and I started doing internships and I, my first internship was at a small historical society and I did some collections work and I really liked how it was very logistics oriented and all like organizing stuff. And uh, over the course of my various internships, I realized that I didn't want to be a curator because I didn't want to do research for my career. Um, and I really liked the collections path. Um, and so I kind of took it from there. And here I am. Now, some of us didn't quite have such a straight and narrow pathway. I'm wondering if one of our other panelists can talk about their experiences and how they came into the field. I definitely came in, I would say, accidentally. Um, in undergraduate, if you had asked me what a registrar did, I would not have been able to tell you. I was double majoring in geology and art history, uh, fully planning on being a field geologist. But I loved art history. I had just no faith I could find a job with it. Um, senior year, I was uh, rethinking things and someone suggested art conservation as a way to bring science and, you know, material culture together. And it seems like a great fit. Um, I'm a steward of collection at a museum. Um, and then that internship became a position and that's where I've been for the past five years. Excellent. Did, did anyone else uh, take a circuitous path path to uh, working in collections? Um, I did as well. I actually didn't realize I wanted to work until in collections until after I finished my 
undergraduate degree, I got my degree in art history. And similarly, I thought maybe I would go a curatorial route, but I didn't really have like one particular dream job in mind. Um, and I ended up working for a private collector. Um, and there was a really robust uh, lending schedule. And so that sort of introduced me to the world of collections and being a registrar and um, that private collection also needed a lot of updating um, and digitization. And so that kind of caused me to look into best practices of collections management just to really um, professionalize that collection a bit more. And so I sort of came to it that way that, you know, I really enjoy this and I'd like to pursue it in a museum environment. How did you even find that private collection gig? Um, I was contacted by a recruiter on LinkedIn, which... I thought was not real. Yeah, <laughs> it never happened. Still right? happens. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the private collector used a recruiter, and you know she reached out to me. So um, I think that's the value of also keeping your your LinkedIn up to date. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. My boyfriend told me I have to get my LinkedIn connections up to five hundred this year. That's a goal for twenty twenty one. And I'm like, I don't even know twenty people. What's wrong with you? But. Clearly, it pays yeah. off. It's a good call. Oh, yeah. I wasn't working in the art field at the time after my undergrad, so. Um, yeah. Excellent. I'm curious, and anyone can probably uh, answer to this, is how much do you feel like your education, whether or not it was directly geared towards a museum studies degree or collections management specifically, or something tangential like history, art history, how much do you feel like your education prepared you or could have prepared you for the role you have today? Um, yeah, I uh, got my master's degree in museum studies with a focus in collections management. Um, and so I feel like that really uh, prepared me for the role I am in now. I'm the assistant curator and registrar for La Plaza um, and it's three months in. And um, La Plaza is not a collecting museum. Um, we loan um, our objects for our exhibitions. Uh, so I'm kind of coming in with, uh, with a new perspective on, you know, let's bring in some more collecting management policies, even though we're not collecting. Um, I'm really uh, uh, bringing in a lot of what I learned from that museum studies program to help me instill these new policies and procedures that I think will really benefit the museum. So I think those programs are really beneficial, um, especially those ones that focus on collections, um, management, registration. And now has, oh, go ahead, John. I was just going to say, you, you originally wanted to, to start out on a curatorial route. Um, and you sort of were able to combine both of them. How did, uh, how did, how did you sort of change course or adjust your course? What, what was uh, the motive behind that? Yeah, well, before this position, I was in a contract position and I was working on a big collections move. Um, so my uh, tasks were very focused in collections, um, which I love, but I didn't because um, after the contract position was coming to an end, I was getting really worried that I had kind of pigeonholed myself into something within the field that wouldn't allow me to apply to other um, roles within the field. And I knew that I loved curating because I had done a little bit in the past with some internships. So I just started to say, okay, I'm just going to apply for those positions because I know what a curator has to do. I've done some of that work in the past and I'm not gonna let the fear of like, I've never had that role, like with the title and everything keep me from applying um, to those roles because I feel like collections position can't, um, opportunities can be very limited. Um, and so La Plaza started posting, um, because it's not a collecting muse museum, they don't have uh, registrars or collections um, positions all the time. So they started posting a lot of curatorial positions and because it's uh, focused in um, the Latino community, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go for it. I focused in Latin American art during um, undergrad. So let's see where this takes me. And fortunately they turned this position into assistant curator slash registrar. So I kind of get the best of um, both worlds, but I really just wanted to kind of broaden myself a little bit. That's really and interesting also, feedback. Just, 
I just wanted to clarify one thing too, because we, um, you know, we, we kind of define <clears throat> this conversation uh, about, you know, emerging museum professionals. Uh, and, and what we mean by that is roughly, you know, under, I think, what did we decide? AAM des defines it as like under 10 years experience. We're kind of in the five-ish and under years of experience. Although I think, you know, I think Rachel said that she had closer to 10, but um, it's, uh, so that, that's sort of where we're at in terms of uh, where we're uh, coming from here. Amanda, what were you gonna say? No, I was just really appreciative of Carolyn's comment um, and, and the perspective that she shared about, especially when it came to job searching. Um, and it's funny because I was just talking to John earlier before we started about a job we're trying to fill at my museum and how like, these are the qualities I'm looking for. They have nothing to do with the job. <laughs> um, so really, I mean, that's a testament that you should, you should pursue opportunities, even if you don't feel like you have the exact experience. Mm -hmm. um, Cause at the end of the day, that might not necessarily be as important as some of the other characteristics an employer is looking for. It's just a little interview yeah. 101 right there. <laughs> Well, and the advice that was given to me was that if you go to a smaller or mid-sized museum, you you can actually do a bit more. You're not so pigeonholed in a role. In a role, and I've found that to be true. Um, at my job now, I get to do both the curatorial and the registration and exhibits and kind of whatever else I feel like. So, and that's yeah, and I worked out that too. Uh, I work at a smaller museum and I came from a bigger one and I would say that there's a lot more I get to do. <laughs> Not that like we have the time to do it all, but yeah. it is a broader experience and that has been, that has proven incredibly beneficial uh, in that regard. Does anyone else have anything they wanted to add before I throw another one at you guys? I can connect that to internships. Um, just, I know I always recommend that people when they're looking for internships that they start at a smaller museum because they, first of all, they need the help. They often don't have many employees um, and they're really looking for help through volunteers or interns. Um, but I found that smaller places will trust their interns more to do more. Um, and so just for example, like handling objects or um, making, um, doing certain things in the collections database um, bigger museums may not trust their interns to do all, all of that. And smaller places, you may be able to learn more. So I would, I would really recommend kind of starting at the smaller places. And if you want to, to kind of increase it slowly. Um, but yeah, that's smaller places are, are, I found to be better to learn at. Yeah. I'm curious out of all of the panelists here, how many of you did have an internship experience before you started your professional work? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, all of us. How helpful, I mean, it sounds like, especially for you, Sophia, it was, it was, it was important for your professional development, but how many of you found it to be useful in terms of opening doors for uh, job opportunities and learning? Um, I, I definitely found it pretty useful. Um, speaking a little bit to Sophia's point, I had the opportunity to intern both at a smaller museum and at a larger museum. And, and the experiences you get are, they can be very different. Um, but one of the things, especially with internships was the fact that you just are meeting so many people within the museum field, especially, you know, um, professionals who have been doing this for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and they've just got so much knowledge to drop down to you and they want to share it with you. That was always the great part about my internships was I never felt like I was just there to do busy work. I was, I was actually learning things and I was given a lot of responsibilities that helped me learn to do a lot of the things that I do now in my current job. Did you have a, a mentor or did you, and this is not just for a question for you, Bailey, but to everybody, did did internship develop into a mentor type uh, relationship with someone that you're working with? For me, absolutely. Um, I, I did go from the internship to getting hired at the institution. Um, so my manager, director of collections is, stars my um, mentor and continues to be. Um, and tying it together with the internships in general, um, 
it seems you can say a lot about the internship system um, uh, and you know the issues with paid versus unpaid internships. But one thing I found amongst uh, museum professionals is this need to pay it forward. Someone has found their start in an internship. So when they get into a position to mentor other people, that they, uh, they feel that sort of obligation responsibility. I'm curious if, oh, sorry, John, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm, I always think about things from my perspective. I mean, I think a lot of us do, uh, especially when it comes to um, disseminating information to others who are interested in joining the field. Like what was, what in my experience was helpful and what in others and what in other ways of my experience were not helpful and how can I help them avoid that? Uh, I don't know. I found that my graduate degree was great in a lot of ways. Um, I didn't do a museum studies degree specifically, and I know some of you, some of you did on the panel and some of you didn't, you had a, a different type of graduate degree maybe. Mine was in art history, and I found that I was wholly unprepared, even though I did have a focus in museum studies when it came to the real world work, and it was because of my internships that I actually knew what goes on in a museum, which is really sad to say, but I think that speaks to the importance of internships and having those opportunities to get field experience while you may still be in school. And I'm curious if others who maybe did do a museum studies degree felt like that really set them up and their internship was like a seamless transition, or if they did really feel that they had to gather more experience from working in the field before they could actually like take on a role of their own. I definitely learned and gained a lot of experience in uh, my internships, especially the one that was required for my master's degree in museum studies. but. Um, I definitely had a few more internships after that, as well as volunteering, um, which I did the volunteering as well, because I could do that while I was also working an actual paying job. So, um, I think all of those were pretty useful and sort of built my confidence and then helped me decide which direction I was trying to go. I would say it was a pretty seamless transition. I did, I was in a museum studies program. Um, and I think the, the internship that I did during that program, I, what I do now in my job is what I was doing for a lot of that internship. Mm -hmm. So that I felt a lot more at ease when I took my current position, because I felt like, even though I'm in a, a different, um, discipline altogether. I'm in anthropology now, but I was studying art history. A lot of the collections work was very similar. So I actually felt a lot more prepared having done the internship and a lot of the, the school projects that we had. For anyone else that's, uh, that's listening out there, please uh, share your your experiences in the, in the chat. We'd love to, to be able to see them and comment on them. Uh, we do have one question from the chat. Um, do any of you uh, struggle finding affordable learning resources or current practices outside of school uh, in the past or presently? Uh, yeah, I can answer that one. I definitely did. Um, so I didn't go back to graduate school until about like three years into my career when I was working at the private collection. And because I was the only one there, um, I really sort of had to learn on my own, you know, okay, what are best practices and procedures for collections management today? How do I instill those practices here? Um, so a lot of it was me going out and researching and trying to find those resources. And accessibility was hard, just sort of knowing the right places to look. I will say I did sign up for an ARCS membership at that time in order to have access to more resources. Um, but, you know, the cost of some publications as well um, or conferences, I think can be prohibitive to students who are interested in going in this career path or even younger professionals. In terms of free resources, I would definitely say connecting to collections is probably the biggest one um and a lot of people also don't know i don't know if maybe people don't know this but like they've been doing it for a very long time and their complete archive is available so you can just go back into years past and just watch 
like all the videos they've done on object handling or packing objects. And it's a really helpful resource. And then um, not necessarily free because you have to pay for books, obviously, but um, MRM, like museum registration methods and Malaro's illegal primer are like the Bibles for this throughout this career. Everyone's nodding their heads. <laughs> and going through those is a really helpful basis for everything we do. Agree. Yep, for 100 bucks. I mean, that's a graduate education right there. <laughs> And I would also add to that, I mean, we're talking about some really valuable resources and, and one of the things about accessibility that I think Elizabeth touched on is like, where do you even know to begin looking for this stuff? Um, and I have always found the uh, formerly RCAM, but currently the collection stewardship listservs of AAM. Sorry, I'm not very good with the acronyms, but that is by and far a valuable resource, not only for finding the information you need specifically and quickly, um, there's des definitely been some desperate pleas out that have been put out to the listserv that are addressed within minutes from colleagues all around the world, but also as a networking means as well, because you get to meet people, you have regular people who respond. I certainly have my favorites who I love listening to their advice, even retired individuals as well. But I have by and far found that besides the two books that Sophia mentioned, which are absolute essentials to be incredibly helpful um, as I've grown and learned in my career as well. And it's free, which is really great. It looks like there's a lot of people too in the, in the chat that all, everyone had multiple internships. Um, so this is, uh, it's, it's certainly the, uh, the trend here. And even when we, we had the, the mid-career perspective, people uh, had either internships or some sort of a mentor that kind of brought them in and uh, shepherded them through their, their career. So um, did anyone ever do a mentorship program? Uh, you know, ARCS has one now, but, or did any, like something that's more formal, not necessarily an internship that developed into that type of relationship? Yes. Um, Texas Association of Museums has a program that they do yearly coinciding with their annual conference. So I did it they didn't do it this past year because um, there was no conference, but I did it the year before and uh, they matched me with um, one of the collections professionals at the State History Museum. So that was a great connection. We met a few times, um, discussed various things. So that was probably the most formal sort of mentor program I've done. Yeah. I participated in the RCS mentorship program back in 2016. Uh, it was great. It didn't, uh, we had about like three conversations um, and then I got to visit another collection storage, which was very different from the one I was working in, uh, which was incredibly valuable. Um, so that would be the, the, the mentorship matching that I've done. I just want to touch on something that we had we chatted about yesterday when we were doing our tech check for the talk um, that Sophia brought up, uh, speaking to your point, Michelle, about seeing other institutions storage and what have you. Um, has anyone ever just like reached out, cold called um, other professionals, even when you're something that I've done when I've been doing a project like uh, rehousing or reconfiguring our storage is just like, who has done this? Let me talk to you. I'm going to just cold call you because I know you had your storage renovated and hope that you'll take my phone call. But a lot of those experiences have proved really valuable when you see how other places operate, what they do successfully. Um, have any of you ever experienced something like that either for internship or um, experience to gather information about your professional development or because you've been working on a project specifically? Yeah, I have, um, usually we have some sort of connection. It's not completely cold calling. Um, and I usually email them instead of calling on the phone. Um, clarification. Um, and so for example, in college, I contacted a lot of um, alumni of my undergraduate institution who work in museums. And so that was the connection we had. And I found a lot of people to be very open and willing to help um, kind of pay it forward, as, as we said, as we said, and um, yeah, so that was really helpful. And then now, as 
I am in the Smithsonian, it's a little bit easier to kind of, I have that connection. So um, I've contacted other registrars at other museums to ask about other kind of situations that they've dealt with. And that has also been very helpful. And so kind of having those connections is really valuable, not just for like getting a job in the future, but for learning about the field and learning from real experiences and not just perfect scenarios that you learn about in grad school. Um, Cause as we all know, best practices aren't always can't always be practiced. So, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Does <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone else uh, talk, talk about, uh, you know, the importance of a network in getting your jobs or your internships or uh, developing one uh, from the point of you getting a job or your internship or via a mentor. Uh, does anyone have any in extra insight on that? I've found that since sort of um, becoming established at my museum, the network that I'm building is mostly the people who are interning with us now. Um, it's incredible to see um, the people that you have worked with you as an intern in your department, now being a staff member, becoming staff members at other institutions and just keeping in touch with your interns is a very powerful thing because you never know exactly where they're gonna end up and they're most likely gonna end up your colleagues. I definitely agree that once you have a position it's a lot easier to, to build your network um, because you can, if I use the word leverage, it sounds a little bit too clinical, but my point is like, you can say, Hey, look, I represent this, this institution and you can, you know, reach out to somebody asking for specific information or a contact or whatever. So um, I think it's, uh, it's a little bit easier from that point of view. Um, but uh, otherwise, what is it, LinkedIn or something? <laughs> That's just, yeah, developing that sort of uh, social media network. Um, anyone else have any insights on, on your network? Um, I will say that, you know, trying to seek out different professional organizations that you can be involved with is great. That really helped me after undergrad. I was involved with Art Table in DC and that chapter is particularly active. So that sort of like kickstarted my entire network in DC and not just um, people in the museum field, but also across areas of art. So again, in like private collections um, or, you know, art advising. And so having a network that sort of reached beyond my particular goals, I thought, you know, was also really helpful as well. So I think seeking out um, different organizations to be involved with, really, really helps. And those organizations, oh, sorry. Those organizations okay. also help provide a lot of learning opportunities. Like I know, um, similarly, it's, I, I benefited a lot from looking for local organizations and even like statewide because I knew where I wanted to stay location-wise. And then once you're in those, they've a lot of times will offer, you know, workshops at certain museums and talks and things like that. And those are great places to network and meet new people. Yeah, I would even add to that, Bailey, because um, you make a good point. Like if you know you're going to be in an area, the one thing I always say to anyone who comes to me asking for career advice is where are you or where do you want to live? You likely have a state organization, get involved in any way that you can. And that's something that I did in Florida. There's a state organization called FAM, the Florida Association of Museums. And for years, you know, even when I was still a student, I would go to their conferences they held every year. I mean, that's how I met people. Um, and that's how I got some of that networking started because you see the same faces over and over again and people recognize you, you have conversations with them, um, et cetera. And then to what uh, Sophia had mentioned earlier, the Connecting to Collections program, which I think is an IMLS sponsored grant program. Um, and it's very, it's very big in Florida at least. And they offer a lot of free webinars and free networking. This is, we're talking a lot about uh, pre COVID when people still could gather in the same place together. 
Um, but they would, a museum would host, uh, my museum hosted a gathering at one point and my previous institution also hosted a gathering. And if you have interns at your organization, that's a wonderful opportunity for them to have something that's accessible because it doesn't cost anything that's available, like available professional development, which is a wonderful way to continue to grow as a professional as well. So those are really good. Um, that's a really good suggestion that you brought up, Bailey. Uh, did, did, did I, anyone, sorry, go, oh, ahead, go ahead finish. No, I was just going to say, did anyone's university programs, whether for master's or undergrad, um, help with any of the network? Or do you uh, affiliate yourself with the alumni networks that help? Uh, do they help at all? Mine really helped. Um, I know I've mentioned already that like networking was really key for me. Um, and um, so even just a lot of universities have an alumni directory um, where you can look up what field people are in and it might have their email address. And so you can kind of email people that way and find them that way. Um, another way, another thing I did is just to search on LinkedIn for who, who is in the museum industry and who went to your um, college or university. And so you can find people that way as well. And um, if, if people having that connection, even um, small connection of coming from the same undergrad in institution is very valuable because if you if, if you reach out to someone and cold call or cold message them and but they see that you have that small connection, they are probably more willing to talk to you than if it's just a random person. Um, at least that's what I've found. Um, and I always tell people to, um, it's, it's always kind of scary to reach out to people, but um, usually if people don't want to talk to you, they're just not going to respond. They're not going to be mean to you. Um, so I, I say, just go for it. Just email someone, contact them and just see what advice they have. My graduate school was, uh, University of Leicester in the UK. So that actually wasn't great for network, especially as far as job searching in the U S. Um, but now a lot of those um, classmates are kind of moving up in their museum careers. So now I do have some museum colleagues around the world, but um, here in Waco, we actually have a museum association. So I have met literally every museum employee in this city, um, gotten to know them pretty well. And there is a museum studies graduate program here in Waco Baylor University, so those students get to know um, everyone in the group as well, which is which is a pretty good network to start with. Uh, there's some interesting uh, discussions going on in the the chat at the moment. Uh, a couple of people mentioned, and uh, I'd be curious to know if anyone in the panel here has had this experience. A couple of people worrying about like just starting out and taking kind of contract positions, but they don't want to be pigeonholed as contract. Uh, uh, workers. So does anyone else have that, uh, that worry of like making the jump or have that experience of making the jump from contract positions to full time? I can speak a little bit to that. Um, after my last internship, um, I jumped into a contract position and it was tough. Um, it was a two year position, which was a good amount of time. Um, but I was worried that I was uh, gonna be stuck in that contract world because I did work with somebody who um, had been in contract position after contract position. Um, and a lot of the other team members that I was working with, um, they applied, continued to apply for comp contract positions. My thing was, I'm not gonna apply for another one um, because it was just this thing that I didn't wanna, sh it gave me so much anxiety. Um, knowing that there was an end to something. It was like having a, an internship again um, with a little more responsibility. So I know during tough times, you just need a position. And it's, you know, sometimes that's all there, there is that's out there. 
Um, and in that case, go for it. But for myself, after one, I was like, I'm not, I'm not applying for another contract position. So I kind of just got myself out of that really quick. Elizabeth, you wanted to chime in? Oh, yeah. Um, so I sort of did something a little bit different. I used a contract position actually to get experience, more experience in the museum field um, because I wasn't able to get an internship. So um, you can find a lot of contract positions that are part time, uh, which I did. So it was a bit crazy, but I kept my full time job and worked an additional 20 hours a week part time for a contract um, to have uh, object handling experience at a museum. And I found that to be incredibly helpful, um, not only just to add to my resume, but just like my skills building for object handling and being familiar with different types of materials and basic conservation practices. So I think, you know, if you can find even, you know, a, a contract position that's part-time to help skills build, even if you're working in another job that isn't necessarily aligned with the field. Um, it might be an interesting way to sort of like bridge the gap and still build some skills while making money and having stable income otherwise. I'm curious for those of you that have done contract work, um, did you feel like it was a detriment on your resume to have had like all these contract positions in the sense that like an employer might look at that and say, oh, well, you know, they've only done contract work. They've never worked permanently at a museum. Or did you just from a personal standpoint feel like it helped me get what I wanted to do and then I was ready to part ways with it? I, I don't necessarily, um, I don't think it was a detriment, especially I think now we are moving towards a place where people are kind of, they're not sticking with one position for as long as maybe we were 20 years ago. Um, so I've, I've viewed my contract position as just being able to gain the skills that I needed to get to the next point. And I've, I've found that uh, other people within my industry have been very understanding of that. Um, especially, you know, within museums, everyone's kind of been at the point where you have to decide like, how long am I going to be in this contract position or working on a grant um, so I found that actually most people have been pretty understanding about it. So I haven't had as much anxiety applying for full-time jobs with that on my resume. It's interesting to me because like clearly uh, the, the comments in the chat are seeing that having that on their resume is, is, is detrimental. And I just, that to me just seems really bizarre, but um and, uh, you know, Melissa, who is someone that works with, with you, Bailey, she was just saying that she definitely, um, you know, looks out for people who do have that as, ex as their experience and, and thinks that it is extremely legitimate. So, um, and she's a hiring manager at Denver Museum of Arts and Sciences. So, um, anyway, I, it's, it's strange to me, but I guess, I guess it's a thing, right? I don't know. I mean, like, I, again... Uh, not to bring this, not to make it about me, but I've been going through the hiring process of two positions in my department, and I wouldn't bat an eye at someone having contract work. If anything, I'm like, look what you did here, here, here. That's excellent. When can I talk to you? Um, but that's just from my perspective, and, and maybe it's different because um, of where I am in my career, or the institution I'm at, or the like level of um, like competitive candidates we have. I have no idea. But I certainly wouldn't see it as a negative. I would see it as a big positive. You've been hired multiple times to do many jobs. That says something. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we should um, talk a little bit about the future now and, and kind of change pace because uh, this is um, such a dramatically different uh, year that we've all experienced. And uh, to have something like that happen, uh, you know, with lockdowns and shutdowns and um and the pandemic happened at an early, early stage in your career. Um, how has, has that affected your outlook about the work that you do? And if so, how? Does anyone want to field this uh, dramatic question? I could take a stab at it. Um, so I decided in 2019 that in order to go from collections assistant to collections manager, I had to tick that box and get a master's. Um, so I was uh, applied to a museum studies program. Come 2020, um, 
re looking at the, the, the future trajectory, I felt that having museum studies degree, should I be unable to work in a museum, if though it's still my primary goal, if that should happen, I wanted a degree that could give me more transferable skills. So I transferred to an MSLIS, so I could go into digital asset management, metadata specialist. It felt like it opened more doors. Um, so it, this year has definitely been a huge change and putting more investment in my plan B outside of the museum field. That is super interesting. I mean, did, um, I mean, I'm just wondering, does, uh, does someone hiring within the museum role see having that sort of advanced degree as opposed to uh, museum studies as, as detrimental or uh, beneficial? I looked at a bunch of uh, job postings, like even from like 2018, 2019, in my decision to take up the master's to decide that actually I do have to do this. Um, and it seemed as though an MSLIS was just as um, valued as a master's in art history, a master's in museum studies. It, there was always that interrelated field. Um, I've never been a hiring manager, so I don't know if that's just sort of uh, boilerplate, but it seemed as though museums are still looking for the information science uh, degrees as well. Well, it was sort of uh, in the conversation we were having before uh, before we went live, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, Amanda's hiring position and the, and the point of view that I'm not asking for specific skills. I can teach the skills, but I can't teach uh, these other qualities. And uh, I mean, I certainly feel that way about a lot of things as well. So, um, you know, but hiring managers don't always see things that way, especially if you need to hit the ground running. Uh, but for example, like, you know, seeing, you know, someone with a data analytics background would be super important if you're working with collection databases for uh, all the time. Um, just just the thought, you probably have the same mindset uh, and the same attention to detail. Um, but uh, I don't know if anyone else has any other contribution. Well, and honestly, I've seen several um, museum colleagues that have been in the field longer than I that lost their jobs during the pandemic. So you're sort of thinking about, yes, maybe I do need a, a plan B, or maybe you end up doing contract work again. Um, you know, you just have to think about those things. One of my mentors, um, who has been in the museum field, I don't know, 30 years, she got laid off from her museum job. So it's just like, you kind of got to roll with it. Yeah, I would add that like being able to pivot is probably a wonderful quality to have in general as a, as a person looking for employment. Um, and certainly 2020 has taught us all that, if nothing else. Um, I'm curious to know how you all see the future of the field, especially with 2020 kind of in our um, rearview mirror, so to say. Uh, how do you see the field growing, changing, and what type of things might you be expecting from it at this early stage in your career? Well, I'm a part of um, a committee for the California Associations of Museums. And we talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I feel like what has really been highlighted this year is a time like this is really gonna affect those entry-level, mid-level positions, especially um, in the communities of color, um, which the museum field sorely lackly represents. Um, so I've been talking a lot with them about how we can make this field more open and accessible um, to those communities. Um, so I'm hoping that in the next year, um, the museum field will become more attractive um, to a broader audience and staff will start looking a lot more diverse. For sure, it's a challenging, I mean, it, that's, that's a challenging um, issue even in the best of times. And uh, mm -hmm. now it seems like, unfortunately, our, 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 um, we're getting further from, 
from where we need to be in, in that respect. But, uh, you know, uh, I, most people are aware of it. There have been plenty of studies out. Uh, the ho- hopefully we can actually use this time uh, to, to catapult us in the right direction uh, because it is sort of a big reset in many ways. Uh, let's hope it is. Let's try and make it that um, and be protagonists in that respect. Um, so, but yeah, any, any other thoughts about the, the future of the, of the field? That's kind of a broad question, I know, but uh, like, I, I mean, for example, like I, like I would say like um, people that are working contract, that's probably going to be a more valuable um, position to take that that's, that's personal opinion, but um, you know, the fact that uh, you know, people just splashing budgets and everything for traveling exhibitions, et cetera. I think that, you know, contract um, uh, collections care is going to be a much bigger um uh, necessity as we go forward. And uh, so perhaps it's a good time to be uh, doubling down on your contract efforts and not looking for a full-time gig because they're they're hard to come by at this point. I mean, frankly, right? So. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've heard a similar thing with um, uh, connecting it to couriers. And I, I know you all had an ARC chat, ARC chat specifically talking about the future of couriers. Um, but I've one one sort of outlook or prediction I've seen I've heard is that um, there will be a lot more demand for independent um, registrars as being um, like bookend courier type things or being a um, filling those roles of courier positions in a city where an object might be coming to, and a museum may not be able to handle it themselves, so they get a contractor to handle it. Um, and so I've, yeah, I've heard multiple people think that contractors will be a, uh, more in demand soon. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it could be also the case and, you know, um, you know, I've, I've heard uh, other people say this, I don't know if I can say their name, but, you know, predicting that, you know, fewer people will manage bigger collections. So, and that will be possible by things like contractors or, technology and things of that nature. So, uh, but are there any personal um, experiences that you might say um, have made you see things in a different light this year uh, as a result of say pandemic or changes you've seen to the industry as a result of the pandemic? I just think at least compared to my colleagues, um, like for instance, the educator didn't have much to do this past year, uh, had to shift into other things, but collections work just keeps on chugging away. Um, in fact, I feel like we were busier this past year than, than previously. So that's kind of what I took away from, from the past year. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, obviously collections work still is ongoing in the background. And even when museums are shut down, objects still need to be cared for. And there are, of course, sometimes additional concerns for security when museums are shut down for longer periods of time. Um, and in my experience, I started my position at the Delaware Art Museum in March, one day before everything shut down. Um, so that was a really interesting transition to try and learn the collection while I was not able to actually be with the artwork. Um, but my colleagues have been incredible. And, you know, since phases have been opening up more in Delaware, I've been able to go back on site. And I think COVID also provided a unique opportunity for uh, registrars and collections managers to work across departments more to figure out how people can engage with collections while they can't be at the museum. Um, so for us, one thing that was important, we have a, an outdoor sculpture garden and we are right in the middle of a residential community. So that remained open for people to walk through and they were still able to engage with that outdoor artwork. So um, for me, it was a priority to manage the, um, the quarterly and seasonal maintenance of those objects so people could still have these connections with artwork while not being able to go inside the museum. And also collaborating with other departments like marketing and communications to figure out, you know, how can we put more information about our collections on social media channels. 
I think my general concern for the future um, in our field, especially since we're talking about emerging museum professionals, is how this is going to impact people wanting to get into the fields in the future, you know, future museum studies students or, or not. Um, I know for me, I, I, back to kind of the conversation we had before, it was having to think about a plan B if things don't work out and how our certain skills can be transferable to other places. And I know for us and for a lot of museums, it was really hard not having volunteers here and interns here because they do a huge amount of work and they get a lot of experience through those. And, you know, when we can't necessarily have people in the museum, where, where can people turn to get that same experience that I think will be really difficult. Um, I'm very, I think we're very lucky that we're all in a place where we're already working and already have positions. Some of us still in school. Um, but I'm curious about what this will be like for those who are in school and maybe still trying to get experience through internships or through volunteering, how they're going to be able to really get that experience over the next, you know, for the last year and for the next year while still, you know, trying to advance their careers. Two great points uh, that you made there. The first one I want to comment on uh, regarding the plan B, a lot of people are looking at plan B, not because just, they lost their job or it's hard to find one because there are a few positions, but they, a lot of people are looking to um, have other options in terms of their career, just because the jobs don't pay a lot. Um, you know, especially if you live in a city, you know, like, you know, I live in New York, it's expensive to be here. Uh, Carolyn, I'm sure you see it in Los Angeles and other big market cities, you know, just making, you know, 45 grand a year and with a master's degree and, you know, all this debt. I mean, it's just not, you know, um, not feasible. Um, so, you know, that's another thing that is, you know, causing people to rethink, uh, their decisions. The other thing, uh, and this is another, um, sort of broader question for everybody else is like, in terms of obstacles for the future, what are the challenges? Um, you know, we've, we've talked on, on this platform on ARCS chat before about, um, you know, state challenges, obstacles to diversifying, the, the field, for example, and one of them is paid internships, which we, we talked about a lot. But the other is, you know, requiring a master's degree for an entry level job. I mean, most of you feel that um, it was necessary and you had to do it because you probably couldn't get uh, work uh, otherwise. But um, I mean, now that you're all in a position, you think it was necessary. Um, but, you know, obviously it's a tool to weed people out. But um, but other obstacles that that you all see? I mean, as far as the master's degree, I've also seen jobs where, no, it's not required, but there's sort of this unwritten expectation of a master's degree as well. So the person who has the master's degree is, is definitely going to get it anyway. Um, that's just something that you run up against. Yeah, I um, think, Cam, um, on our committee, we talk a lot about that as well. And that was a conversation at the last conference in March, right before the pandemic was the issue of requiring a master's um, degree. And I think a lot of museums were heading in the direction of not listing that directly on their job postings. But again, like you said, Rachel, I mean, that's, it's not going to be required, but who, what resume is going to look more, uh, I don't know, good or whatever, but they're, they're, the degrees are very, very expensive. Um, so would I recommend anyone interested in the field going out and spending $100,000 on a degree right now? I probably would say, hold on. Uh, um, so we're, we're at uh, about five minutes left and uh, there's some interesting um, discussions going on in the chat and then we'll kind of bring things to uh, kinda wrap it up. But um, uh, someone was saying that I can foresee more workers' rights slash compensation benefits negotiation in our field's mm. future. I think that our generation and other EMPs are hoping to balance their personal and professional life. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we've seen a lot of uh, labor-related um, issues coming up, mostly around sort of like art handlers and unionization. But uh, um, you know, it's 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 sort of 
floating in the air. And, you know, of course, uh, diversity is, is part of that conversation as well. Um, but, uh, I mean, any, any, uh, anyone have uh, any thoughts on, on those issues? I, I think it's going to continue to be a, mm -hmm. a thing. So, um, well, uh, with that, we're going to, we have about five minutes, uh, left. Does anyone have any other thoughts about, um, what you see, uh, the future being or like the successes that you see, uh, from the field so far? Well, I think one thing that's been really great during this time, especially is that our field, especially registrars have shown um, a great community and being able to come together and problem solve. So I think that's really been sort of a jewel during COVID when everything shut down is everyone has had to adapt and many people have lost their jobs. But having this uh, professional network with one another has been really important and you know, just a way to figure out solutions for the future. So, yeah. Sense of community has been so important, even just outside of skill sharing and professional development, because um, I, I don't know how many of you have been working from home and quarantining for months on end, simply being part of um, uh, like arcs chat or other sort of community events has been wonderful for my morale, I would say. I think it's also great seeing the ways that museums are making themselves more accessible online um, because no one can go in to see them. I know La Plaza's, we're doing a lot of great work um, with, uh, we just got a Matterport camera. So we're scanning all our exhibitions so people can virtually tour them, which is really great. And um, we're doing a guide by cell, which will add um, an additional feature to our show. So, uh, and then all of our programming, educational programming um, is uh, on YouTube and, and other Zooming um, channels. So it's been really interesting to see how museums have been pivoting this year. We got our collections website online, like in March of last year. So it just happened to be good timing. <laughs> so I think we have, uh, I'm gonna ask Robin to come back, but she, she wanted to address a few little arcs informational details uh, before we completely log out. Um, but I got to say, you know, thanks for all of your contributions. I mean, those, uh, I mean, invaluable information here for so many people. Um, so um, with that, we'll kind of turn it over to Robin and uh, handle some more of our logistical info. Yeah, I'll just add, it's been really fun to be communicating to everyone in the chat and seeing that, you know, even like, I, I kind of hate when we're like, well, you're an EMP and I'm a mid-career and you're a retiree, like all these classifications, <laughs> I get a little like, we're all just kind of collections people, but I am glad that, you know, we're able to communicate between our rows and knowing that like what you guys are talking about with contract employees, like I'm contract and we all know that that's like really valuable experience in our career. So the fact that that shouldn't have a stigma on it, that should show, no, you have a ton of experience. So I'm glad you all brought that up. So right, programming notes. So there's gonna be an ARCS chat happening, I believe on January 19th, another COVID based courier one. So keep an eye on announcements for that on Facebook and Twitter. February 2nd, there'll be a regularly scheduled ARCS chat happening as well. So again, we send out all the announcements via ARCS update, Facebook, LinkedIn, which I was amazed by the amount of shout outs LinkedIn got, because that's usually my most hated platform, but good job, LinkedIn. Um, so good for you. And then the other big thing that's happening is we are accepting submissions for the next ARCS conference um, that is scheduled to happen in November of 2021. All fingers crossed, we will be having something in November 2021, hopefully in Montreal, maybe a hybrid. Uh, we're still figuring that out, but right now we're accepting submissions for proposals. So go to our website, click on the link, submit a proposal. A lot of the topics you guys talked about today could be sessions at the next ARCS conference. Talk about contract <laughs> employees, talking about all the things that we're trying to work on in the future, how life has changed. So please do think about that in the future. So that was my last little plug. 
I do want to add that the the January nineteenth uh, arcs chat that we're going to do is a continuation, a part two of the the uh, post courier post COVID courier um, discussion, and it's going to be an ask me anything. We're going to have two special guests uh, that will field field all the questions. So we're not going to do any commentary. It's just going to be questions because there were so many unanswered questions that went um, hanging after the last one. So I'm just going to throw that in. Ooh, and I would add that in tagging on uh, to Robin's comment about the conference is the forum on the ARCS website has been a wonderful space where I've already seen conversations happening about session proposals. So definitely check that out there. And of course, post your questions because we all get the digest emails or you can get the digest emails. And it's a great opportunity to um, hear what your colleagues are already talking about for the conference. So thanks again. And, and we were going to see you soon. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on YouTube so that you get notifications for um, our live videos and any other new content that we put up there. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, this is going to be out as a podcast by the end of the week, hopefully, uh, and Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google Podcasts. And also we um, uh, on the podcast, we're featuring the special uh, yeah, special segment called A Day in the Life where people can talk about their unique experiences uh, working in their unique collections. So uh, check out the previous ones if you're curious about how they work. But if you had a crazy courier trip or had to acquire some unique skill to work with your super specialized collection, uh, these are all valuable experiences that uh, most lay people don't get to have. So uh, please uh, send us and send us a recording that you record on your uh, your just your voice memo on your phone to info at arcsinfo.org. And we'd love to hear about it so we can add it to the, the podcast. So um, thanks again to, to our panel. And, uh, and thanks for all your comments in the chat. And uh, the live chat is still visible when you do the YouTube uh, version of the video. So uh, you know, everyone can uh, review the resources in there. So thanks again, everybody. Go watch your hand.